Welcome to Papaholics. We're here again. We're back from Christmas, our Christmas break. Very, very exciting. Thank, oh, yeah. Thank you. For that. Yeah. Very exciting to be back talking with you guys. I missed you. I missed you guys. I as, missed you guys. We took a week off. As much as I love my family, uh, I miss you guys, uh, especially in this, this time we have together. So it's exciting to be back. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the original, the... the, the uh, the uh, OG OG that's that's a great way to put it uh work of superman uh, superhero lore rather and uh you can't say superhero without saying half of uh that of which we are talking about which is superman the 1978 classic by richard donner in this episode we will be discussing quite a few things uh, what we think about superman uh him in his different iterations uh, him being brought to film for the first time, how iconic this movie is in every aspect, and uh, what it leaves us with, uh, even still to this day. And as per that, we're celebrating the 40-year uh, anniversary. Uh, we're going to make it right under the cut. And by right under the cut, I mean two days late. Oh, a little bit after. <laughs> two days late. Of, of, right over the cut. Of the 40 years. So technically, this is the 41st year uh, that we'll be entering. So happy 2019, everybody. Happy 2019. Uh, I hope your New Year's Eve was great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we'll we'll be starting today the way that we always do, which is just a catch up. I know we were all visiting friends and family over the holidays. How, how are we? How are we doing? We'll we'll start with you, Chris. What's going on, man? I'm doing well. Uh, my wife and I went down south for Christmas Day. We spent some time with my side of the family. Uh, we celebrated with her side a couple days before Christmas. So a lot of family time, a lot of driving. Uh, it was it was a, a good time. It was Did a good holiday. Cool. Did you uh, catch up on anything? Did you get anything nice for Christmas? Uh, I got a really cool iPad Pro, Ooh. which is very dope. Oh, the new I'm ones excited are so to, sick. They are. They're very awesome. I'm excited to start drawing more and and using it more for work and stuff like that. So that was a really cool gift. Uh, today, my wife and I saw Mary Poppins Returns. I don't know if you guys uh, are interested in seeing that or if you have seen it. But uh, it was delightful. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's to how I'm going to describe it for sure. Yeah. Uh, no interest, but uh, I figured. Yeah. I figured as much. I, uh, as long is there a Cold Dick Van Dyke uh, stand-in who comes in with like an absurdly iconic bad British accent? That's what is it, uh, there's a cameo. As, I believe you're uh, talking Dick about right? uh, Lin Manuel Miranda is the new um, lamplighter. He's not a chimney sweep, but he's a lamplighter. And Brian's right; there is a, a Dick Van Dyke cameo in the movie. Ooh, I'm uh, Lin, Man, Lin Manuel Miranda. Ugh, that's tempting. He's good. I I personally thought he was very good. Uh, Mickey did not think he was so good, but just like you mentioned. Did he Boy, start they, rapping about uh, old U.S. American he presidents? Did, he did have one <laughs> sequence in which uh, they they gave him a little bit to rap about. It was it was um, it wasn't full on rap, but you can tell they were like throwing him a bone, kind of like I'm gonna hey, light you lamp it off your feet. I ain't no chimney sweep. <laughs> that was great. That was great. They should have cast you as uh, I'm the as dude from Hamilton. <laughs> 
Mary Poppins <laughs> returns again with <laughs> Christian Katie writing the screenplay. Yes. Yep. Uh, a man much more talented than I could ever even dream of being. I am going to roast and uh, make fun of. I'm just jealous because I can't afford to go see a show. Okay, anyway. Uh, Brian, how was your uh, Christmas break? Christmas break was great. Uh, the listeners may be able to tell I got a new microphone. Shout out to my mom for this amazing Christmas present that mom I was not expecting through. at all. Way to go, Brian's she, mom. Oh, my God. She really Clutch. did. Shout Clutch. out. She made me listen to this. Love you, mom. But, um, yeah, it was, it's been a great time. Show. I've had <laughs> – don't talk to my mother that way. Um, <laughs> she, uh, we, we had a great time. I've just been relaxing way too much this week, sleeping in. Uh, I actually had this week off of work, so – I just feel super lazy and been enjoying watching a lot of Superman stuff, <laughs> watching and reading. Um, a lot of good family time. I actually got to hang out with Christian when you were in town for uh, on Christmas night itself. Yeah, we had uh, a Christmas Eve. Yeah, I think it turned Christmas as we were uh, we drank scotch, <laughs> which is great. Yes, that sounds awesome. Yes, indeed, yes. it was it was super classy. Yeah, it was classy. Uh, Stole scotch from your dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's really exciting. Um, you know, if that if that doesn't you know, signify or symbolize going home around the holidays, and I don't know what does. I was jealous like, of Brian's Christmas. I, I was walking, <laughs> uh, me and my girlfriend's dog, and, and Brian lives right, his family lives right down the street, and I was walking the dog, and you guys were throwing a pretty wild banger, and I was like, Brian didn't invite me to this wild banger. I'm, <laughs> and then I picked up, dog. I, my dog pooped on your lawn, I go on the wow. side of it near vengeance. your porch. Yeah, vengeance. And then, I, but I'm here in party, and I heard you laughing, and I'm picking up dog poop. And I was like, <laughs> that sounds great, dude. Yeah, so I had a little FOMO. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Uh, but it was a it was a beautiful, uh, sunny Christmas in uh, Florida, in Tampa, Florida, where I celebrated it. Me and me and my girlfriend uh, had a lovely time with my family, and uh, like like Brian said, we got to hang out. Uh, and it was a good time to uh, to uh, chill, and it continuously be jealous of my dad's new 4K TV, which looks uh, incredible. So watched some uh, cool stuff on that, just running demo footage of uh, you know LG's OLED <laughs> stuff through there. <laughs> Super great. Um, so yeah, that was the, very exciting. The other night when we were hanging out, you said you're uh, you're thinking about selling yours. Is that uh, one reason you're I, thinking about selling it? The trick is oh, they wow. give you so much time to use it as a return policy there's a special return policy with walmart which is where i bought it from don't support evil corporations unless they have a hell of a deal um <laughs> uh, i have 90 days so i still have from black friday until like i guess it goes through like january that i, that wow. I have if, I, if my math is correct maybe my math's wrong no no yeah i have till like january or something i'm sitting on it i'm thinking about it I, I think the biggest selling point is i really i moved my old tv into my room and i like having that tv uh, it's really awesome to watch stuff in my room now uh, which is nice before bed catching a yeah. quick flick and if i want to watch any of my uh newly furnished uh predator collection <laughs> i got a whole whole game that's your the- your the prized possession of your movie collection now right that is but uh yeah, a lot of a lot of great. My family was very thoughtful. Uh, got an Instapot, so I'm excited to cook some veggies in that. It's gonna be very exciting. Sweet. Ooh, anyway, yeah. So it sounds like we all had a great Christmas. Uh, please write in and tell us about your Christmas to popholicscast@gmail.com. Let us know if you saw anything cool, what you'd like for us to talk about in this upcoming year. But happy New Year, guys! We are in a new year of Popaholics, and we're gonna be making this show the best we can for you. Uh, and uh, today's subject, we're talking about Superman. Kalel, you do not remember me. 
differently and things get very clear and there's one thing i do know son and that is you are here for a reason i want to get a gauge i want to get a, a temperature reading on uh, how we feel about superman as a character uh brian if it's okay i'd like to start with you give, give me your personal feelings about the soups man the uberman so well, that's an interesting word for it. But, um, <laughs> honestly, German. I didn't have a no. Yeah, I'm familiar. The uh, I didn't really have too much of a familiarity with Superman until the last five, ten years or so, as the the newest movies had come out. I had never seen this movie previously, either the the original or the sequels, and. Yeah, it was never a character that I was particularly drawn to, honestly. Even growing up in middle school, having read a few comics here and there, I tended towards the Spider-Man, uh, Batman, um, even yeah, more more so on the Batman side with DC, but largely reading Marvel stuff just tangentially here and there. And only in the last year have I started reading any of Superman stuff. And this was kind of my first deep dive, and I'm definitely excited to talk about it because I feel like it was a bit of a blind spot, but something that I probably wouldn't have appreciated when I was younger anyway. So I feel like it always catches up to me eventually. Chris, what what are you, your thoughts on the Superman? You're a, you're a, you're our token. This is your choice, by the way. This is Chris's pick to start. It off was the my new choice. Year. I mean, if it's if it's uh, it's its 40th anniversary, so I feel like it was worth discussing. I think it's a, think it's a great choice. Um, so uh, you're a resident superhero expert. It's uh, a title that I'm giving you right now that uh, you must live <laughs> up to and know all the questions I have for you. I'll try my best. Can he uh, go into the sun? Can he be in yes. the sun? Yes, 100%. Dude, the sun is what gives him his powers. Okay, just a quick check. Okay, you yeah, are a he resident like, superhero he, he expert. He can charge himself Verified. off of the sun's rays. So, um, growing up, I, I knew about Superman. I knew a little bit of Superman lore. But like Brian, I always gravitated more toward Batman in the DC universe with like a little bit of Marvel sprinkled in like Spider-Man. Spider-Man and Batman were really like the go-to as a kid. Um, the, the challenge with Superman is... It's Superman's a character that that always kind of parallels that savior, a kind of Jesus Christ mythos, you know, this uh, superhuman character or, or savior character that humanity is supposed to look up to not necessarily supposed to uh, strive to become, right? So that's why I always kind of gravitated more toward Batman as a character because he's a human. Granted, he's a billionaire, <laughs> but um, it always seemed more uh, attainable, the things that, that Batman could do. Superman was more of like something, uh, a superpower floating above us, something that was meant to fly in, save us, and then fly away. Like, you could never aspire to be him. So um, I really didn't start gravitating towards Superman and appreciating what he brings to modern mythology until I was an adult, like Brian. I always thought Superman was super dumb. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think my my problem with him was constantly, you know, he's way too overpowered. You know, I think he's really challenging with him, and there's this right. glowing green rock that makes him useless. So I was like, how boring of a character. <laughs> What I've learned as I've grown up and going through watching the DCU and what they were trying to go, or excuse, yeah, the, what, what they've been doing in the DCU and what they've been trying to go for, um, not really liking Superman Returns, revisiting this Donner film, is I've grown to appreciate uh, how hard it is to write Superman um, mm-hmm. because I do believe it is it is a very challenging thing to do when you create something that is something something so invincible that has like one defect, right? Um, but what I've grown to appreciate is is the skill and ability it takes, and when when things are going right in this film or in the DCU, is appreciating uh, how you can bring that to life and make that an interesting concept. And this idea of something completely pure and powerful uh, that is a, a symbol of hope and justice that you can look up to, or in the later films, as he's appreciated as uh, you know power that you that we're debating on how to control or how to manage, or how to deal with. Uh, yeah. So I think it brings up very... He, and he's hum, he, he's just like, you know, uh, in the savior an, um, analog that you're describing, he is a human, so he's not just a weapon or a MacGuffin. He is a person right. that with agency uh, that makes it interesting. In later years, they definitely tended to lean on the alien aspect of the character more. Uh that's kind of what you're getting at. Like, and I think that, yeah, and I think that aligns with our understanding of myth. Whereas mm-hmm. if you look at the turn um, since the 50s, we've been growing more and more, even the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Thor tried to make it like a science magic. Right. Uh, and that, that is kind of like, well, we can convince and, you know, all movies are trying to do are convince you of reality. Genre films are trying to extend kind of believability into the supernatural or super high science fiction fantasy realm and so i think they've tried to analyze it and go no you can believe this because it's science and i think you see that shift in public consciousness and that's that's why they tackle it from that angle recently i have no problem with either i think the latter or the 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 primary what they've gone for with this one is like more myth uh with with the donner we'll be talking about uh, but but still very very powerful, and I th- I still think the structure is the same, and something that we'll we'll talk about. Uh, so in talking about this, you know, Superman has had many different forms. Uh, wh- what do we think of the different? What we we were hitting hitting on it a little bit earlier. What do we think of the different forms of how Superman's come to be? What are our preferences? How do we prefer? What what's the most interesting version of this character to you guys? We'll start with you, Chris. Well, like you're mentioning, at least in the in Hollywood. Superman's been portrayed in a couple of different ways, whether it's uh, Christopher Reeves, Superman, or I I kind of tend to lump Christopher Reeves and Brandon Brandon Routh into the same Superman category because Superman Returns is supposed to be like an homage or a spiritual successor to Superman 2. So they're essentially supposed to be he's taking over for Christopher Reeves. But when you go into the the Henry Cavill films, um, like we just talked about, they're, they're trying to go with like a grittier, darker uh, tone for those movies. They still uh, tackle kind of some of the same beats, some of them in, in different ways, some of them in the same ways. But uh, when Man of Steel first came out, I was like, this is a gr- this Henry Cavill's a great Superman. I'm enjoying this kind of gritty uh, rendition of this character, this, this more realistic rendition of this character. But um, now that we've kind of went back and watched Superman 
the movie from 1978. This will be like the the probably the third or fourth time I've seen it. I think I appreciate this movie way more than Henry Cavill's portrayal of Superman, solely because I found myself uh, becoming more hopeful after watching this movie or wanting to be a better person after watching this movie with Cavill. I don't feel that way. Like he, uh, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's probably just the tone of that film, but like, I don't feel hopeful after watching that movie. I, I don't feel like, uh, humanity is, is good by nature. If you're, if you're understanding what I'm saying, what about you, Brian? I think I I pretty much completely agree with with what you're saying there. I think uh, in the Donner version, he's personified in a way that really allows you to relate to him, even though you know he's this ridiculously extreme, um, you know, he is an alien, he's from another planet, but he's got such a human element to him. And I think something that this does really well, and I haven't seen the the other, uh, the more recent stuff since they came out, really. I haven't revisited the, the Routh or the Cavill Supermans. Which I think I tend to enjoy the DC stuff more than most people, so I enjoyed those movies. I think some of the stuff they suffer from, this movie doesn't suffer from. It seems very straightforward in the in ways that those movies just aren't. And I think it it, it does a really good job of telling the origin story but not lingering on it too long mm-hmm. and showing three phases of his life, which I think most of the the origin story movies do, but they do it in such a way as to really make it so it's like okay, we all relate to his struggles, even though he is this extraordinary person. He's very relatable, and he he has human choice as we come to uh, to see throughout the movie, even right. though he may be uh, on a higher level of awareness than most, most humans are. He, he still struggles with human problems. Maybe not um, in the same way that, like, Peter Parker struggles with human problems, but you can see that they're still there, and, and that makes him... Uh, still a relatable character at times. What I was hitting at earlier, Superman has had trouble being interesting in some context because you really can't do more than the fastest, most impervious, strongest thing. It's hard to give that an antagonist. And I think that's what struggled to make his story interesting. And when they're making it interesting, it is this idea of, and it's something said in the, in this film that we're covering, which is there are some things he just can't stop. Turns out he can change time, so that's pretty... <laughs> In this instance, yeah. Pretty powerful although he's thing. forbidden, too. Uh, although he's, yeah. he's forbidden. Um, but, you know, you see, I think something laid... that's The groundwork that's laid really well... In this, in this film is that he has all of galactic knowledge and human evolution and history and all that, and that's something that he learned, and that's something that he's understood, so he's kind of a student of um, us mortals, and, and that, that puts him in an mm. also higher power with, with knowledge, and I think that was really important uh, to, set, to set clear, which isn't super clear in the later iterations uh, of right. him. Uh, Chris, do you have any... Uh, in, in um, insight into how the comics have dealt with him over the years, just like a general overview of like what his persona is and what they've leaned towards. I would say, I mean, his, his persona is pretty similar to the way this movie depicts him, the way Dick Donner chose to portray him in this film. Like 
he uh, being taking kind of like a five year humanities and, and philosophy course from his dead father. Like, I, I don't know if that's exactly how uh, DC has always portrayed him, but Superman has always been portrayed as a character who is uh, deeply understanding of the human condition and the human race and our history and our sciences. Um, at one point, uh, he even comes up with the cure for cancer. Like he, he's not by any means, um, uh, a stupid individual. He's, he's very intelligent. So I, I, if that's what you were getting at, it seems to be pretty, um, uniform. Yeah, exactly. Consistent uniform with, with the way DC comics has portrayed him over the course of, yeah, all this time. Um, I guess the DCU just has the most different approach, um, and I wouldn't say that it's a bad approach. It's taking a character and trying to do something interesting with it. And I think is a reflection. Uh, I, I found what Zack Snyder was trying to do with Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman was this kind of grim nihilistic uh, reflection of society and American idealism um, that I don't know if you or if you did, you do it similar to the way that Captain America has been done. Where mm-hmm. he, he has doubts about things from what he's been through through the series of movies in the MCU. Um, but he still kind of has this tried and true justice. And at one point in this Donner film, he goes, uh, I stand for the American way. <laughs> he's like Truth, up. justice, and the American way. Uh, and he says it with such conviction, too, you right. know? Right. And it's, he's a person that believes in in American idealism uh, and, and wants to stand behind that, which is which is very interesting. Uh, but uh, I think both are interesting. I think w- whether or not one was executed better than the other is, is up to public debate, and I think that debate is largely uh, monopolized by those who think that it has been done poorly in the later years. Um, but I think the idea of a god alien child and having to deal with his ramifications on Earth is interesting uh, in, in both takes and uh, could coexist, I think, uh, in the same story, which I think would be super interesting. Um, which I know is something that, like, I've been playing through the Injustice game, and that's something that they've kind of wrestled with. They kind of went full force where Superman started his own regime. This is yeah. literally called the regime, where it's like he, Lois Lane dies in, in, in the Injustice universe, which is like a video game series with, like, Mortal Kombat-style fighting. Um, and uh, Superman is kind of on this side of, like, world order and complete order and uh, trying to remove the chaos from uh, from life and, and, and giving people less free will in the uh, in the pursuit of order and batman is the one who comes up against him saying yeah that, which is really interesting he's like, he's like a <laughs> cult tyrant <laughs> pretty much yeah he basically goes you know villains don't deserve to live and batman has to go like hey we we're, we're no better than them you know and that, that classic age-old wow. conflict of of justice um right he, he essentially crosses that line that uh, most of the time batman's unwilling to cross which is if we just kill all these people the first time we encounter them Nothing bad will ever yeah. happen again. And then later DCU, <laughs> they tried to do that kind of with Batman at the helm of crossing the line. Yeah. But Superman also being depressed, uh, which is, uh, yeah. you know, something we can we can weigh against. Um, uh, like, we'll be comparing, you know, Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. Uh, Injustice is a whole nother, or not Injustice, but uh, Justice League, I think is, it feels like it was made by a different studio. So it doesn't even feel like the yeah. same Superman that's in that. Um, but I think overall, it is nice to see, you know, watching these films, it is such a positive message. And that is something that is, we, we are drought with 
um, as much as like dark gritty nihilism it is nice to have a hero who's just like i'm just trying to do the right thing and I, it makes you feel good on the inside right <laughs> i can see through your clothes but only if you ask me to right <laughs> he's a gentleman he's a gentleman <laughs> Uh, very cool. All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we are going to dive into the actual creation of the film uh, and, uh, you know, what we think of how the film's put together and our thoughts on the Richard Donner and its influence going forward. Uh, but we'll be right back with Pop And we're back. Hello. 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 So, Chris. Hello. Hello. Chris, I hear you have some interesting things about how this movie was put together. I was reading some stuff on Wikipedia. Seemed like a clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah, there, there were uh, a lot of people involved, but it really is like a dream team of creators when you look at some of the, the names that were um, involved in, in the making of this movie. It was directed by Richard Donner, who's a fantastic director. He directed The Omen, The Goonies, Lethal Weapons, Scrooge, a lot of great movies. Um, it was scored by John Williams. Oh, what let's, else? Let's talk what about that score. Do for I a have second. to say about that? Uh, yeah. This movie's good because of the score. Uh, the oh, yeah. Score connects the incredible. things in this movie that aren't super weighty um, and connects them all. Uh, iconically and uh i i had several moments of like this scene doesn't work without the score um and john williams classic fashion of uh rearranging the theme in such interesting ways uh early on when clark is doing things minor uh like heroically on a small scale uh, mm-hmm. he uses the wind section for the the latter half of the main theme um, and uses lower horns, and it really is not as thick and powerful as when it really kind of play uh, goes full force. And it's it's just yeah, it's master masterwork. Um, I was just telling Brian every time I hear this score, or at least every time I hear the Superman theme, uh, I get really pumped up. Like no joke, goosebumps every single time. It's such a good theme. It's it's uh, one of the iconic Hollywood themes. Granted, John Williams has created a ton of iconic Hollywood themes, but it's it's a great score. Yeah, I was just saying too. I I had never seen this movie, but immediately recognized the the theme from. I don't know if it was later Superman shows or the movies, but it immediately hit me. And even stuff as simple as um, Luther and his henchmen, the music they would use there is just like perfectly silly, like boom, 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 very cartoony. <laughs> yeah, super cartoony and. That was something we'll get into it, but I, I really like how this movie doesn't take itself too seriously, and I guess that is the main contrast with some of what's happened in the more more recent iterations. But the the level of lightness to this movie made the whole thing really enjoyable for me, and the score is clearly hugely important in that. Yes, and st- still sounds like a John Williams score, uh, oh, but being sure. unique, uh, especially the the latter half of the main motif. The da 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 da. Dun, 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 dun. It's, it's like straight Star Wars. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. I, I keep confusing the two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it came out a year after Star Wars came out. He had Star Wars on the so, dome. Yeah. Yeah. Star people. But when, whenever I hear this theme, I always kind of lump it together with Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Like, there, there are similar uh, yeah. uh, beats and similar motifs in, in all three of those films, I think. But all three are fantastic scores. So I know that this film came together... 
and was way over budget, and they were going to film both Superman and Superman 2 all at once. So from what I, what I understand is uh, they got a, a couple different production houses together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were trying to find Superman. They went through pretty much every big actor you can think of during the 70s, Dustin Hoffman, uh, James Caan, uh, oh my God, John Voight. Uh, they went through oh, wow. so many uh, actors trying to see, and uh, they eventually set, settled on Christopher Reeve uh, for it. And and like I was saying before, they were they were trying to do both at one time. Donner kept going over budget. Um, they decided they'd film seventy five percent of Superman two. Uh, by the time right. uh, they had gone, well, if this movie bombs, you know, we're already over budget here. We won't, you know, we won't finish production on that mm-hmm. that film. Um, and what's crazy is that I believe it made three hundred million dollars at the box office, which is just huge, with a budget of fifty-five million. And That's a lot for that insane. time period. And it was supposedly going to be one of the most expensive films of all time. It was in production. It was like this is the most expensive movie ever made. Um, and you see why when you see the special effects in comparison to other movies and, and what they were doing and how they were trying to uh, break ground. Very similar to to Star Wars. Um, but what's crazy is Christopher Reeves was paid $200,000 for his role in Superman. Wow. And uh, Gene Hackman, or uh, excuse me, Marlon Brando, uh, after all said and done of his 11.8% take or something like that, it was over 11% wow. in domestic gross box office, uh, took, for took like home... For like six minutes on screen? Yeah, for, and took... And, <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, reading about what Marlon Marlon Brando is deems his own po- like podcast feature on on Marlon Brando in this movie. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit. Krypton, but yeah. Oh God, uh, he made uh, he made considerably more. He made tens of millions of dollars. I think twenty two yeah. million dollars or something crazy. He could have retired on what he made from his his performance. That was uh, a good contract for him. <laughs> uh, did you guys read a bit anything about uh, Brando's role in in uh, doing Superman? I didn't read up on any of the background of like what his opinion was of it, but watching the film, I always assumed uh, that it was a paycheck. Well, I did. Um, <laughs> Thanks. No, I'm words. excited to hear I about it. Backed guy. Uh, so Marlon Brando did not, from all reports of his decisions, uh, I don't know if there's any quotes directly saying he was like, this is a cash in or I'm going to phone this in. Um, but based on reports of what he, his contract laid out, you could assume that he had uh, ill feeling, uh, ill will towards this film doing well or being any piece of art. Right. Um, well, I mean, he was wearing like, uh, an aluminum foil jumpsuit. In every single one of the scenes, <laughs> he demanded hey, he that he rocked it, though. He did, yeah. <laughs> well, he's like one of the greatest actors of all time. It's true. Well, let me give you some backstory. Uh, his contract demanded that he be done with uh, principal photography and all filming of himself, uh, I believe, within three days. So they had oh to capture God. everything he did in three days. Uh, he had argued, uh, he had agreed to do the film, but argued that he should be represented by a bagel. Or a green suitcase instead of his actual persona, and he would voice over everything. Uh, Wait, that's not real. <laughs> cited and referenced in, uh, in by Wikipedia. a bagel. I want to know where you got that that Wikipedia, information, <laughs> and it is referenced. I didn't dive too deep into that. Um, he said that he did. He was not going to be under contract to memorize his lines, and the production uh, house had to have cue cards on set for him to read during his performances. Uh, no wonder he mispronounces things. Yeah. 
as he's first reading time them reading off it. cue cards. Off of cue cards. It's like an SNL sketch. Uh, <laughs> and he had demanded a salary. So you can imagine that he was, and he was paid the most out of any, in his first build yeah. in this movie. Uh, that is Marlon Brando, one of the finest actors of our generation's contribution. But despite all of that, he's not bad in the movie. Uh, and as no, you pointed isn't. to earlier, he just pronounces Krypton real weird. Multiple times. The planet Krypton. I, I guarantee like, at the least one, one time Richard Donner was probably like, uh, Mr. Brando, it's actually pronounced Krypton. And he's like, it's not what it looks like on the cue cards. Do you want to argue this until my three days are up? Yeah. I can either shoot the scenes or we can argue about this for the next three days. Anything else you learned about the uh, the, the making of that was uh, fascinating to you, Chris? Dude, Jeffrey Unsworth was the cinematographer, and he was also the cinematographer for a film we discussed in our first episode, 2001 A Space Odyssey. This was his and last film. Was this his last film? I believe he passed away um, That's during a shame. the post-production of this. But, you know, as I was watching that, having having known that Jeffrey Unsworth was the cinematographer, I could see some uh, creative parallels between uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey and, and this movie. Oh, for sure. They do take the visual effects team, which was nominated for a special consideration because they didn't have the award at the time at the Oscars. Um, it did a, a bunch of different cool, innovative stuff to make what happened happen. And there was, you know, there's parts of the way they shot things that I really wish were incorporated more into film nowadays that you know you watch a lot of these scenes and you're like you know now that would just be cg and in certain cases it would be more interesting but a couple things that i noted his weightlessness and his effortlessness going through flying and kind of moving around being um suspended but it's it's more or less like him him flying in the picture but i believe it's done with wires Mm -hmm. there's a certain like elegance to the restraint that superman has in how he moves around uh the world uh that is very engaging on a human level another one is you know when he's flying with lois lane uh or flying in general there's mostly with lois lane because it's a human interaction but there's facial expressions and them looking at each other and if you just were to cgi that flying you couldn't dive into that unless you had someone like Andy Circus or a mocap right. team. And even you're getting into uncanny valley territory uh, with trying to make CG people look real. Uh, and this, this has a lot of beautiful moments that you, you just don't see achieved uh, nowadays. Yeah. Well, I mean, the tagline for this movie on all the posters was, you'll believe a man can fly. So if they were going to deliver on anything, they wanted to deliver on making sure that Superman's flying at least – looked excellent yeah man, I, I agree i think they they nailed it for the most part especially at the time and even with some of the bigger shots where you have the clearly him injected over backdrops the way they could hide the missile behind the mountain as he's flying and show that yeah. uh perception of depth there i thought it worked really well and for the most part didn't like take me out of the movie too much which nope. would be kind of expected or something that far back and uh, the use of miniatures in this, too. Like, I know I'm sure it was inspired by Star Wars to a large degree, but all of that stuff, even when I could tell it was kind of miniatures, I was like, okay, this, I can still, uh, it could, I could still stay in it for the most part. And it looked beautiful, especially some of the uh, the Arctic scenes. I don't want to get ahead of myself. As we're talking about production, something that, I don't know if you guys listened to the interview I had sent with Richard Donner for I did. the 40th anniversary. Yeah, he had mentioned that um, 
his partner, Tom Minkowicz, they, they didn't want to give him credit um, for, I don't know if it was like executive producer or whatnot. Yeah, the studio but, didn't want to. Right. So he, he essentially, um, Donner made up the, the term creative consultant and credited him with, with it at the end of the credits so that he could be, <laughs> be noted there. And I guess it's something that's kind of been picked up and, and used since then. But I just thought that was kind of interesting, like a director shoehorning yeah, in his, he, he, his helpers. Uh, he essentially helped rewrite the script that Donner had gotten. And he was kind of like, well, this, I believe the script that they initially got to shoot both films was over 500 pages long. Which, wow, for, for if you do not know what a page represents in screenplays, it's about a minute of on-screen time. Um, so even for two films, that's two and a half hours each of filming to shoot. Um, and uh, he was, uh, what, how do you pronounce his name? M- Minkowitz? I'm not sure. I think, yeah, Minkowitz. Minkowitz Foundation? Uh, Minkowitz was oh brought God. in to uh, <laughs> help uh, really uh, get get a, a clear, a more clear path and a more direct uh, uh, screenplay involved. So, hugely. And the screenwriter. This was the same guy who wrote The Godfather. He wrote the novel. Yeah, Mario Puzo, or at least he right, was one the... of the screenwriters. So he wrote the okay, novel, okay. the Godfather novels that the movie was based on. So I guess that could have been the Brando connection potentially. I don't know if possibly. Yeah, well, they it looked like they were trying to make, uh, from all the research that I did, that this was trying to be a big studio hit. You know, they mm-hmm. were saying this could mm-hmm. be the next uh, big blockbuster, the next thing to follow. Uh, Star Wars was, what, a year before? Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if they were trying to compete with that, but it was kind of the same idea of, like, this could be a big property. It was a very popular comic um, and something they wanted to bring to life. So they were trying to throw all kinds of money and get all kinds of stars, based on what you and- saw with what they were, what I had mentioned earlier, who they were looking for to play as Superman. Um, and in right. Superman, we get Christopher Reeve's uh, performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always thrown back. This is the third time I've seen this film. I haven't seen it in a couple of years. Um, but always when you're in Teenage Clark territory, I'm always like, that dude looks weird. And I'm like, I can't remember that this dude. I was like, I like the performance. And I forget that that's not Christopher Reeves for a second. Right. That was at least my experience. And I was going like, there's no way this dude carries the movie. This putz. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they had three separate actors portray him in the film. He had the the baby Clark, and then the the teen Clark, and then Christopher Reeves is the adult Clark. But man, once once Christopher Reeves shows up on on film, um, he he really carries carries a lot of the emotional weight, uh, a lot of believability behind what Superman, aka Clark Kent, is is trying to do in the world. Like um, a lot of uh, a lot of humility a lot of genuine uh, empathy for human i mean there's, there's a lot he's doing in his in his performance oh yeah i i love the way uh, just all the the nuance and and differences that he puts into both characters of clark kent and superman like hunching his back a little bit or maybe walking a little more clumsily or, or he just he does such a good job making sure that there's a clear delineation between those two personas um he, I, I personally believe that he's definitely the best actor who's ever portrayed Superman. But I don't, I don't know what you guys think. I, I, I totally agree that he does a great job of distinguishing because he even does a thing where, um, at one point he's thinking about telling Lois who he is, and he's got his glasses off, and he starts yeah. speaking in his like lower voice, and then he's like, oh nope, questions it, and then brings it up a, a, a register or something, and then gets back to that Clark Kent voice. Um, I think he sells it very well, and it's not something that's nearly to the 
what could be considered silly level of like a Christian Bale Batman, which makes on its face a little more sense that you'd have to really mix it up, especially when you just have glasses on to cover your face. But I think the way he carries himself, like you were saying, but I I will say that before we get into Reeve stuff in general, the first two that play him, I think there's some just iconic moments, like when baby Superman lifts the car up. Oh, yeah. And just like the, like, look what I'm doing, like, on his face. And when he's a teenager, him running alongside that train. There's a level of joy in that where I'm just like, okay, this is this is wonderful. It's oh yeah, not to exactly say what I'm looking for. Having fun that he can cut loose a little bit. Teenage right. Clark Kent doesn't sell me on what's happening. It's just I believe they no, use he, some prosthetics Reeve does to make him look sure. uh, like Christopher Reeve, and he ends up looking like an undead nightmare. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to put it like nicely, weird, why are your eyes below your eye sockets? Uh, type of thing happening. Um, I think the performance is fine, but they overdubbed his voice with uh, Christopher Reeves, uh, which is also... Uh, he did didn't they know really? That. They did. Oh, yes. I didn't notice that. I didn't even notice uh, that. Oh, my but, gosh. Uh, I thought it was weird. This is a side note, but uh, as baby Clark is hurling through space, uh, his his dad is teaching like teaching him about human history. and Yeah, it, it's supposed to be like like a weird osmosis, I think. Like yeah, that, was, that was very strange. I'm just gonna point out how weird that, was, like, how much that threw me off of him trying to like be like now Clark. When you're eating dinner with humans, there is usually a salad fork and a regular fork for your main course. <laughs> and him being like, what? <laughs> okay. He was planting the seeds, dude. The seeds of knowledge. I'd He's like, probably going to go over all of that again. Well, he gives him the birds and, and we the see bees it. We too. see it. Yeah, we do. Again. Uh, yeah, he gives him the birds and the bees. Yeah. Now, Clark. Now, Clark, when a man loves a woman. When a space alien loves a humanoid woman, got to remember that they're a delicate creature, not only for the fact that they're a woman, but also because you're a super powerful alien with a dense molecular structure. Right. (laughs) Uh, But to go back to the original point, I think Christopher Reeves is is absolutely perfect as his role as Clark Kent Superman. For all the reasons that you guys said, his whole... Body, he's slouching. He slouches. He raises the pitch of his voice. Um, it almost, rem- you know, when I was growing up, I'd always go, "What a dumb disguise!" Uh, <laughs> like he's obviously <laughs> Superman, um, but he's. I think the idea is that he sells his um, himself so well as Clark Kent that even though he looks just like him, uh, the characters even mention it. It's like that could never be. That, yeah, there's no way they're <laughs> totally two different people, yeah. uh, which I think makes it even more interesting. Yeah, I I think, and I won't dive too deeply into this right now, but I think it does kind of lend itself in a fun way to people um, not necessarily believing what they see or what they know to be true. And you kind of got to come up with another story. Like, oh, it couldn't just be this regular guy. It's got to be something much more incredible no, than that. I think that, yeah, I think there was a lot of stuff in this film. I know what you're hinting at the, uh, of uh, people people's perception, which was, which was really interesting, um, which we might talk about. Um, Cool. Any other notes on uh, on uh, how this film was built? The players in it. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is Lex Luthor. We can't not talk about Gene Hackman. He's fantastic. He's got the oh dumbest uh, superhero plot that's ever existed. Uh, I don't. <laughs> it's but, all about real estate, dude. Uh, it's but, brilliant, <laughs> dude. He's incredible. His oh, dialogue he, I, isn't pr- particularly thoughtful or that intriguing or that dense, but. But man, he makes all of it work. <laughs> yeah. 
he he comes off as intelligent, which is what Lex Luthor is supposed to be. So, but man, um, and I also, I also company, like dude. that. I, I'd be interested to know, like, <laughs> wait, what'd you say? I said, get yourself some better company. I mean, this this, yeah. this whole film, the allegory to me was like, you are who your friends are. Like, you could be the smartest dude in the world, but if you got two nincompoops, none of your plans are going to come together. Well, Absolutely. I mean, I, for Lex Luthor, I don't think it's about. Uh, he knows his plans are going to come together because he's him. He's him. You know, like it, it's more of a, a superiority complex where he wants to be surrounded by people that make him feel superior. So oh, I get that. I get yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying the lessons I learned for watching it. Right. Well, the lesson that he does not, he does not learn himself. No, so I'm, I'm, uh, as far as like his classic look goes. Um, and I know this is a bit of a digression. I would be interested to know, what Gene Hackman's contract looked like because we don't see him as a bald man until the very end of the film. He's wearing a wig or has hair the entire movie until the very end when Superman pulls off his wig. So I wonder if he was like, look, man, I know what Lex Luthor looks like and I want hair for 95% of this movie. <laughs> I thought it played in, I thought that was a really cool thing because it's something that kind of throws you off. If you notice there's, you know, when he's in the library, he has gray streaks. It's almost matching what he's doing. In the moment, it's kind of an extension of him uh, trying to build a bigger facade for himself based on what his hair is. So I I thought it was actually really interesting. I think it worked. No, I I think it works as well. But I'd be interested to know what took place behind the scenes and if that was like a a story choice or if that was uh, something that Gene Hackman requested. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I think it played well, too. Like, there's there's some, like, silly slapstick stuff where the um, one of his henchmen finds one of his wigs on the bed or something. He's just like, oh, what is this? Yeah. And – but I think it – and I hadn't thought of it until now, but I think it may play into this idea of even Luthor being this very well-known um, magnate of sorts. He still has to blend in, and to do his nefarious deeds, he has to put on, put on a costume in a way that Superman does to do his good deeds. Yeah. And I, I actually watched this movie twice in preparation, and – I had to uh, recognize that Luthor, when he he crashes the car with like a remote control device at some point, I didn't even recognize Hackman because he had like a blonde wig on. So I wasn't even one hundred percent sure that was Luthor until the uh, the second time watching. So it was it was a little interesting in that regard. Just um, yeah, sacrificing character recognition for <laughs> for this hair. So it would be right. it would be cool to see what what drove that. Uh, and then we have uh, the final lead, uh, kind of uh, the glue, I think, part of what, what holds this film together is uh, Margot... Ned Beatty, right? As Otis. Yes, no. of course. <laughs> no. No, no Margot Kidder. <laughs> Margot Kidder as the Lois Lane. I think you are no Superman without a good Lois Lane. Uh, and I really like the angle they went with. You know, she's kind of the, your regular go-getter woman in the 70s and kind of this this point of um, a, a, a woman going at stereotypes. Um, I think it plays really interesting against what uh, the traditional values that Superman may hold. Um, it's a really interesting uh, uh, catalyst to to their relationship as, as her personality. What do you guys think of her performance in her in her character? I thought she was fantastic. I mean, uh, right off the bat, in, in several of the interviews that I've listened to with Dick Donner talking about the casting of of Christopher Reeves and and Margot Kidder, like he knew that she was going to be Lois Lane from the second she walked into the room, and the, the chemistry that those two had 
uh, together. Did am I misremembering here? Did he say that she tripped into the audition and just fell flat on her face? Right, and then he was sold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was like, "You are going to be Lois Lane." But I, I think she's uh, fantastic in this film, and the dichotomy between the two characters and their their chemistry, both romantic and otherwise, is phenomenal. Yeah, I I totally agree. I thought she did a great job. I was a little confused as to why she can't spell being a reporter, but that, that, like is, that's on, like a weird character choice. <laughs> yeah. It just apparently needs the dudes as copy editors, but she is a great journalist still. So it's, it's fair enough. Um, I think it's, it's a great gag because all the words she's asking for a spell check on are like awful thi- like massacre, I think is one of the words. Massacre, like they're all rapist. very, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's true. Very that's funny. True. And she has like an offhanded remark about remember that expose I did about that sex and drugs orgy uh, at the old folks' home or something. It's like right. this story's got everything you need. <laughs> Some of her comic bits were incredible. <laughs> and then and then she has the line that she syncs up with uh, the the editor of the Daily Planet, which is yeah, which is like you don't make this uh, the story the story doesn't make you you make the story or something make the story great or something like that yeah. 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 There's there's a there's a play on that, which is kind of like to what you were saying before. Like, no, that story writes itself. <laughs> it's a pretty report <laughs> on whatever that is. That's that's interesting copy right there. I think she's uh she's kind of like uh she's kind of got this like you know she smokes and uh, she she really really wants that Superman dick like right she, off the bat. Like, oh yeah, it's hilarious yeah. when they're at the dinner table together and she like wants to ask him if he's capable. <laughs> but she just says, "Can you eat?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do like, eat. eat. Can yeah. you eat my? <laughs> I do eat dinner. If I make you a dinner, can... uh, yeah. I thought it was great showing her in the the role of desire, which is um, you know something, especially in the seventies. You, you didn't you didn't really. It was always like you know men that were like, "Oh, look at that girl," you know. Where Superman's kind of he kind of is aware, but he's also a little. Um, uh, he's playing he's, along in that he, scene. He's definitely like he's flirtatious, but he's. Uh, not as aggressive as she is right and she's super <laughs> aggressive which is it was honestly it's still to this day it's just something you don't see a lot from like a girl who's like obviously like oh i know what i want i want that guy <laughs> yeah um uh, so i thought that was really interesting and it, it make it makes interesting interplay between them um but she still like likes clark which is nice she's still like oh clark's such a nice guy and he's like yeah. attainable <laughs> but she has like no romantic interest in clark you know, a lot of great talent went in, uh, like you had said before, a lot of great talent that went into to making this. So it is uh, not surprising that that the end product is uh, iconic and, and stands the test of time. Um, something I wanted to talk about was how this movie just as far as nitty gritty plot details and genre. I think that it doesn't age super well um, because a lot of the science in this movie doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And the situations that he gets in are, are a little weird and not as uh, cinematically action-packed as something like Star Wars, I would say. Right. So the are action. We, are we talking about the uh, the the final act? Uh, that is final that act the, is the definitely elephant in the big, room. Uh, definitely a big a big part of it. Um, n- not to hurt this film's. I'm not trying to say too much negative about how the film was shot. I still think for, for the day, it's pretty incredible what they accomplished. And, you know, um, but, but what I want to point out more so is the, the actual structure of the film 
and how uh, we get the we get a very Christ-like narrative with Superman's development into who he becomes uh, into Superman, um, and all the trials and tribulations, the foils to Superman. I think they're perfect, and I think they're a perfect outline if you want to start if you were to start writing a a superhero or someone of great power potential starting with this as a base outline and how uh, the team handled writing this and shooting it and the structure in which they made it. I think it's, I think it's pretty perfect um, the way that they, uh, they outlined everything. What do you guys think about that? No, I agree. I, I mean, it's definitely, um, I don't want to use the word standard because I feel like that doesn't give it enough credit, but we were, we were talking about the mono myth earlier and it, it's definitely one of the best ways to tell a story like this one, right? Like there's a template, this ancient template that humanity kind of uses to tell stories like monomyth, the hero journey, whatever you want to call it. But um, when I was watching this movie this time around, I was thinking about Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2 and how similar both of those movies are to the first two Superman movies. And, uh, I did a little bit of digging to see if maybe Sam Raimi actually did pull some inspiration from these two movies, and he claims he didn't. He claims it all came directly from the comic books. But, I mean, there's undeniable similarities between those these four movies. And I even in the past, Christian, when we've talked about Spider-Man 2, I've mentioned how I always lump that movie in, in particular, with Superman 1 and Superman 2. It, it, they have the same feeling behind them if you if you can kind of understand what i'm saying so it's yeah. just it's just a, a story structure that's going to live on yeah, eternally as long as humans are around <laughs> yeah definitely definitely agree with that and i feel like they def- they they lean into the kind of christ imagery that you were talking about christian um jor-el superman's father which i don't want to dig too deep here but jor-el is like kind of like the Yahweh equivalent, whereas Kal-El is like the Christ equivalent. And yeah. he, he he even says, like, I gave them my one and only son, you know? Yep. And it's like this explicit, like, sacrificial motif that's that's being driven home there. And I think it's beautiful. Um, I, I think the pacing up to that point, the pacing of this movie feels really well done for me. And I don't, I don't want to constantly compare it with the later ones, but even with something like Spider-Man, you know, you have that period of him kind of, even though he knows he's special, Peter Parker's more of an intelligence versus super strength. Um, Clark Kent is very much like this basic person who lived in this in this uh, Smallville, you know, just kind of aptly named this middle of nowhere country bumpkin type thing. And only when he discovers his heritage of sorts, when he finds the, is it just a crystal? that creates the fortress of solitude yeah like uh okay so he finds the crystal and is introduced to this you know you're a wizard harry moment you know the classic beginning of his journey and something something that i don't know if you guys made this connection at all but i had never thought about the fortress of solitude as a supercomputer itself and the fact that it's in the arctic this i'll get into it a little later with this type of i think with comics and comic movies they tend to foreshadow things to come even if they're not consciously doing it but the idea of a supercomputer makes sense that it would be in the arctic because of the the states that they have to hold the the quantum uh computations in these superpositions you have to have be essentially near zero so 
it, it probably wasn't conscious at all, but just the idea of the that's that, a really the interesting take as I a supercomputer was super interesting to me. <laughs> that's so awesome. I've never thought about it like that, but you're you're dead on. <laughs> yeah, I think the the that's a super crazy point that <laughs> I never considered, <laughs> uh, but it is really cool. I always thought it was more of like isolation, you know. Um, well, it's definitely that too. That right? plays a role no too, but uh, but I think Brian's saying that like. He, he said that it was like foreshadowing like things to come, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. I think, uh, yeah, the, the Christ imagery is so strong. Um, I think even if you look at the structure, uh, and this is my uh, Christian religious background coming into play here, of uh, the life of Jesus Christ, you, when you look at the Gospels, his life had a very important birth. It had a brief moment in young childhood and then a, like a 10, 15 year gap. Yeah. Um, so this idea of, uh, the origins, the where did you come from, what is your history, what lineage, what family lineage are you are you coming from, um, a, a miraculous birth or come to be in in our world, sorry, come to be in our world, which is him traveling through space, um, him coming to grips as a young man with with his identity uh, and his his earthly parents. Uh, and what they stand for and what they care about and humanizing and, and growing up just like a human and showing us that he is in fact had a human uh, childhood. Uh, and then this gap of 10 years of what happened in those 10 years that made him like it, just this path of discovery and learning and soul searching and uh, understanding. I think, I think it was really interesting to see them, the, them, them have this gap, which you don't see a lot uh, in a lot of superhero movies where they're just like, okay. And then 10 years later, uh, you know, and I think uh, to the to the Zack Snyder verse Superman, he kind of has a similar thing, and they kind of talk about what brought him to his discovery and, and the moments in his life. Um, but I thought that was really cool and really really potent and powerful that he is, in fact, uh, you see him briefly as a as a baby and then as a teenager, and then most of the movie after about forty minutes, I believe, um, is now he's an adult, like he's a full fledged adult. He's out of adolescence. He knows who he wants to be. He doesn't really change at all after that point. Uh, he is a he's a steady pulse of a character yeah, from that a point source on. for good, a source for good and, and understanding. Uh, and it made me go like, oh man, like wonder what those first days were like. But then I'm like, oh, I could watch Smallville. That was a show. I had like <laughs> it was a seasons. show. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, you had mentioned um, Chris or Christian. You had talked about the cinematographer working on 2001. Yeah, I feel like, and this is something I only caught the second time too. So when he first goes to the Fortress of Solitude, it goes into this scene that's very similar in a lot of ways to the end of 2001 when they go through the Stargate. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's implied that he's just in the Fortress for like 12 years before That's what I got too, yeah. Okay, Okay, that's what you were saying, Christian. I don't know if... Oh, I thought he like left planet Earth. No, 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 no. So I don't know, yeah. My my takeaway, I mean, that's a possibility. It depends on how they're, they're looking to... Uh, illustrate time like the passage of time um my takeaway is he just decided to live in the fortress of solitude for those five to ten years studying under uh jor-el basically to to get caught up on both kryptonian history and knowledge and and human history and knowledge yeah definitely possible um i got the feeling yeah like you were saying they may have just done those the the, the universe and galaxy supercut of images but i got it i i honestly took it as like oh he's like he's in the fortress but then he's flying to other systems and meeting right. those people and trying to understand 
the, could the have potentially been like a hologram. Goes, like he goes all around the universe, or at least yeah. study. I mean, I think the point could be that he studies all these other civilizations. And then has to come to the determination that American democracy is the best form of, of species civilization that currently exists, at least on the planet Earth. And he's going to stand behind it. I don't know if it was that on the nose, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was more like uh, my adoptive parents live here and I love them, so I'm going to protect this planet. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think about the way that he comes to like understand that he's going to go on this journey and become Superman? Uh, like d- d- Jor-El strictly says you can't involve you can't change the course of human history right but his involvement in any way is technically shaping the course of human history and they play it up I- at the <laughs> end like he's disobeying in that final moment right but literally in- changing the course of human history by going back in time I I um all the times that I've seen this movie, I never necessarily thought of it in that way where he's not allowed to live among them because Jor-El specifically talks about him living among them. So just by by being an active participant in, in Earth's society, he's going to shape our society in ways that it wouldn't have been shaped had he not appeared. What I think Jor-El is really talking about when he, when he states that is exactly what Superman goes against at the end of the film, which is, I know you can do this, don't do this. Like, granted, it's, it's completely ridiculous science flying around the Earth in the opposite uh, direction of its this rotation. Once, you may have to do it in the sequel as well. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe the uh, Richard Lester cut actually has a different ending, but I've never seen oh, okay. that cut. And I've I only seen the Donner cut. That the original plan was this was supposed to be the ending to the sequel. Mm-hmm. This uh-huh. was going to be what, what, but he didn't know if the the film would do well. Yeah. And how would you, with all the special effects they were doing at that time, be like, this right. could be the laughing stock of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely cool. think, back back to the original point, that Jor-El was explicitly stating, don't change human uh, history in regards to the past, not necessarily really? how you're going to affect uh, the future. That's just my personal take, though. I mean, I, I didn't write the movie, so. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like... If I was Jarrell, I'd be like, don't try to fly backwards to reverse the polarity and spinning of the earth because it'll stop all <laughs> humans and have them fly off the earth and spaghettify instantly. And you'll murder the entire human civilization if you think that that's going to work. And that's how and, time works. And yet it it didn't happen like that. <laughs> well, Superman. Yeah. I like this idea that they played off in the beginning of the film of him not being able to change certain things despite his power. Um, right. You know, I would like in, you know, new reiterations or whatever to play on it a little more and, and to touch on it more. But I like the fact that the death of his father, um, his his earthly father, is is one that he can't stop. I mean, technically, again, <laughs> technically he can't stop. Uh, flying but... backwards in time. <laughs> hey, he can't go so far back to uh, give it, give Jonathan Kent a, a healthier heart. So. I was wondering at that point. It's like, yeah, how far back can you spin it? Just keep going and uh, <laughs> make yeah. everything right. He should have went back a lot further. He knows where Lex Luthor was. Go get him and take him away, and then none of the earthquakes happen or anything. But right. even again, when he stops the Earth, he comes back and just 
he just says hello to this is what baffled me he says hello to lois and then flies (laughs) away it's like that rock slide (laughs) should still happen don't you have to do all that shit that you did to prevent again i don't know it was was almost implied that he stopped the second rocket when he went back but we never saw it you do see him fly around a bit more but it's to it's to re-engage the the regular spinning of the, the regular earth. rotation yeah. to set time right, back on right. the correct course. There, there's definitely um, some chunks missing there. I would agree some, with you guys. Some logical chunks. All right, yeah. we're gonna take a uh, we're gonna take a final break, and when we come back, we're gonna be talking about the influence of Superman. Maybe some of our more particular thoughts uh, on this and, and how it fits into uh, overall pop culture. We'll be back with more pop. pop. And we're back. Uh, from the break, talking about Donner's Superman. As always, please post on our Facebook. Send us an email at papaholicscast.gmail.com. Share your thoughts and feelings about this film. We want to hear from you. Uh, but we're going to take a second to share some of uh, our specific feelings on this overall film. Chris, do you have anything you wanted to mention? Yeah, just kind of getting back to what I mentioned earlier about uh, how much this movie has influenced the future of the superhero genre. Uh, I, I talked a little bit earlier about how I think the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, while Sam Raimi states that he was not influenced by this movie, uh, it, there are just so many things that are similar to uh, Superman 1 and 2 and Spider-Man 1 and 2. And, and without this film, we wouldn't have what we currently have today. Like, this film was the first movie that showed audiences that superhero source material can be translated to film in uh, in an effective way, right? So without this movie, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe wouldn't exist. We would have never gotten those first Spider-Man movies. We would have never gotten X-Men because the Hollywood system hadn't seen anything like this before. It really changed the game. And it was a huge hit. Yeah, and it was a huge success. So that also helps helps. move things forward. I mean, there were four Superman movies before Superman Returns. So you have the the first two, which are pretty good, and then the next two, which kind of (laughs) suck. And then Superman Returns. So, I mean, they gradually got worse. But, um, (laughs) you know, that's bound to happen when the studio is just trying to crank something out to make a buck. Right? (laughs) Fair point conversation for another day sure continuing from that um just showing that you can like you say adapt a a comic to the big screen they actually something we haven't talked about the very beginning of this movie it's actually a frame shot of uh, the audience basically seeing a theater screen with someone reading a comic on screen and then we eventually pan into that which or that might might not be the term pan pull pull into that yeah (laughs) pull yeah, we, so we pull into the frame, and that was just something that, um, in my interest in comics recently, in like the Grant Morrison era, I feel like this is something where this uh, breaking down of the fourth wall between what the comic is versus who the reader is and how we control the story on some level in that regard, I thought it was very interesting to get you into this interesting mindset of you're watching something inside of a storybook, you know, which right. I know you were texting us about how similar a lot of the stuff in this movie is to stuff we've done recently with Fargo, Buster Shrugs, uh, very much adaptation based uh, in, in sorts. And I don't know, I, I thought it was kind of groundbreaking in that regard. 
um, with some of the stuff with something like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse recently, which I think does a lot of fun stuff playing with uh, the fact that it's pulled from a comic book. But going back 40 years, it was like, wow, okay, they were really breaking boundaries even back then. It's such an interesting idea for, for Richard Donner to be like, well, this is the first movie we're adapting from a comic book. Why don't we just, uh, you know, pull the camera into a comic book when we start the movie? <laughs> right. Yeah, I was kind of confused when the movie started. I've, I've been using the DCU. If you want to watch this movie, by the way, or maybe I'll preface it with this being of the episode, uh, you can uh, subscribe for free trials, uh, at least on iOS, for seven days to the DCU app. Uh, DC Universe. And, yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. And so uh, I started watching it. I thought the app was broken or the app only played in like a four by four. I was like, what is that? I didn't remember. That's how the movie started. And I was like, does it really have like a fake movie theater backdrop that I have to watch the film on? I was very confused uh, for for a good good momo before. I was like, oh, yeah, this is how this, is how this movie does it. But I was constantly reminded about believability. And that was kind of always uh, a mantra, that kind of something that cl- um, definitely coded the entire viewing experience uh, for me. Uh, with watching this and it was a believability in what artists try to do when they bring something fantastical to screen and uh, to your point brian the idea of pulling the audience in that way was an idea of separating people from the fact that it was a hundred percent trying to convince you of reality and more of bringing you into a story and 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 get letting the the audience go it's okay if i suspend my belief this is just a story yeah and kind of giving right. them that that grounding uh that that foundation uh, to view the movie at that, that that lens to watch the movie through, which I think was hugely important. And then the movie itself deals with believing in Superman's existence and what he stands for, and and then the special effects and 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 how that's trying to make you believe that someone can fly, and that's that someone can do this, and that that's actually happening, and to to take you away with that, and how our constant pursuit of some of these more fantastical stories is doing that in the way we accomplish them. I mean, it was. You know, watching this film, it was constantly reminding me of of that that pursuit in storytelling. Yeah, so I completely agree, and I think overall, this is just a super fun movie to watch. Um, I can't say enough about Gene Hackman's uh, Lex Luthor. Um, just the silliness and the pettiness that he brings to criminality is so hilarious to me. Just he's almost jealous of Superman when uh, Superman saves the plane. He's like, either it's real or someone else, like, what does he say? I think I wrote it down here. He says, uh, oh, if, if any human being were to perpetuate such a fantastic hoax, it would have been me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it must have been real, because I would have done this if it wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, it's so, so freaking, so, so good. I don't know. I And grounding grounding it in such a seemingly silly but real thing about real estate and, and the lengths people will go to get valuable real estate. I I just felt like it was it was a lot of fun. And this movie it was working on all cylinders for what I'm looking for in superhero movies and was kind of a, uh, a nice refresher from, from where they've gone. Although I do love me some superhero movies. But uh, yeah, I, I would highly recommend this one. I completely agree with everything both of you guys just said. <laughs> the Okay, so just to get into... Um, a couple more like oh i liked this moment uh the just the the concept behind superman um 
being able to hear on all these higher frequencies and Luthor kind of using this ultra high wave frequency to communicate with him from across the world. I thought that was something where I'm sure it's been done in, in some of the later stuff, but it felt like, wow, okay, this is super, he's, he says something like, uh, there's only four legged creatures and you that can hear this pitch. Right. So he knew I that Superman was the only me. person that could hear, uh, that frequency, right. which was genius. And, and I love the, uh, I've always loved the dichotomy between Lex Luthor and Superman. Cause like you said, Brian, he's incredibly jealous and envious of what Superman has. And yet he doesn't want exactly what Superman has. He just wants to be superior right. to Superman. And up until that point, he felt like he was superior to everyone else. Right. Right. The only one at so the top. You, right. And, and like I mentioned earlier, Superman's intelligent, but Lex Luthor is like super intelligence. You know, he's, he's, yeah. uh, uh, super intelligence and a criminal mind uh, all rolled into one against this unstoppable force. And that's why that, that the dynamic is always so interesting because Lex Luthor has to concoct really uh, elaborate and interesting schemes to make sure he can beat Superman basically. Cause he can't beat him in a, in, a, in fisticuffs. He can't beat him in a fist fight. So I've right. always enjoyed watching, watching their interactions in this and, other media sure and i think something that i really love about this movie the way it leans into the mythic aspects it kind of almost reminded me of concepts that were introduced a bit in the latest star wars iterations the idea of you have this quote-unquote evil force that's rising up and gaining power and then superman appears out of nowhere seemingly and luthor is even like oh the greatest criminal mastermind he, he what else would he want besides the the greatest uh good guy to, to fight against so it's this recognition of like okay there's this inherent balance that superman's got to come because he's the alternate to this this evil force and that kind of leads into something i it's very out there uh there's a book that i just read called an unlikely prophet mm -hmm. which is by alvin schwartz who wrote batman and superman during the 40s and 50s and i won't get into too much detail about the the contents of the book because it's called a metaphysical memoir so it's the kind of thing where you can read it and definitely think of it as fiction um, right. in some sense but he's presenting it as if it all actually happened to him <laughs> so you can take it with a grain of salt but the the conceit of this book is that i don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, american gods i know we've talked about neil gaiman in the past yeah um you, you've read that chris uh, i haven't read it but i'm familiar with it and the television okay, so show Without getting into spoiler territory, there's this idea that Gaiman gets across in a lot of his work that when people worship something, whether it be one of the classic gods or something like TV, internet, highways, so on and so forth, there is a non-physical quality to this thing that when attention is paid to it, it grows in strength and recognition. Right. So in this, in this story, this memoir, um, a person reaches out to Alvin Schwartz in his later age uh, I think when he's like 70 at this point and is claiming to be really interested in a lecture that he gave about Superman where he discussed how the writers were almost driven by the character rather than the other way around and how they'd created this character and what drove him to quit comics at the time was they wanted to, they wanted to have him do an issue. Well, it was a comic strip at this point. So they wanted to have him do a strip where Superman transferred his powers to Lois Lane and that hmm. went against his idea of what Superman was, um, that he had built up over, you know, 10, 20 years of writing him. And so throughout his life, he's looking back after having met this guy 
and he introduces the idea of tulpas to him, which is a, a Buddhist concept of basically a, a being that's made of pure thought, that's created in the human mind, and can become real in some sense. Interesting. So, this book is about how it's like you created this Superman character and you never fully fleshed him out, you know, <clears throat> and coming back to that and thinking about what his Superman was to him right. and what those types of characters can be in reality, quote unquote. And so it it was an incredible book that I, I would recommend for anyone who's interested in kind of like this esoteric side of what comic book heroes can be. Um, I don't know what you guys feel about this. It's I know it's a bit out there, but... <laughs> No, that's an awesome concept. Like superheroes are what we make them to be and what their creators make them to be. Uh, very interesting. I thought Superman's underpants were a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, what was that book again, Brian? Just so we can beat that. It's called An Unlikely Prophet. Yeah, I think that's really cool. It's kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of this, which is the the two ways that the two major ways that Superman's been interpreted on film and how, you know, he, it, you essentially take this concept and you can make it, you know, whatever you want it to be. If you want Superman to transfer his powers to Lois Lane, uh, it's not necessarily a good or, or bad idea. It's all in the execution. Um, sure. And uh, the, the idea that the, the spirit of these things can live on in different forms, I think is, is, is important to creating really interesting stories uh, and and trying to trying to to take a concept and expand it and to yeah, move it al- forward, right? It it also ensures that these characters live on. You know, if we're unwilling to right. uh, write new stories and create new mythos for these characters, they're inevitably going to die off. Just like Brian was talking about. You know, if we stop talking about them or stop uh, adding to the mythos, um, they'll disappear. Yeah, and so. that's that's why I will I will fight against. Uh, Superman got this rap, and even I follow uh, some some figures and critics that that have this opinion. But I think it's a faulty one, which is that's not who Superman is. Or we saw this in the Last Jedi um, with with that's not who Luke Skywalker is. And the idea that you can't right. take a character or person and try to write it into a different way. I'm not saying that's always going to be successful. And we have these conversations. This podcast exists critiques exist to have those conversations but i don't think it should ever be that one thing is is one way or another it's what is this trying to tell us how successful is it at at being consistent with what it's trying to say right and i think that's the problem you get in the uh the dcu um compared to this which is is pretty consistent through at least the first film to what to what i've seen uh which is there's a lot of conflicting stuff in in man of steel and batman versus superman where it's i see where they you know i i want i understand that character i'm not mad that they're trying to do that it's just the it's a consistency problem from his from his mentors from the decisions he makes um don't fully flesh out into something that's as clean as as what we get with the donner film yeah christian and i were talking the other night about how uh the jonathan kent in Richard Donner's film versus the Jonathan Kent and Zack Snyder's Man of Steel are so drastically different and how the Zack Snyder Jonathan Kent really doesn't add anything to uh, Superman becoming Superman. You know, if anything, what he's trying to preach to Clark is almost the opposite of what Superman represents, where in the Richard Donner film, you actually have Jonathan Kent start with that same ideology ideology as the Jonathan Kent in the Zack Snyder movie saying, hey, you should hide yourself from the world. They're going to hate you like just your mother and I love you. Just keep this under wraps. Right. 
But right before he dies, he comes to the conclusion that Clark is here for a greater purpose. And he doesn't know exactly what that purpose is, but he knows that he needs to share his gifts with the world. So and that's just a uh, a character arc that the Jonathan Kent and Zack Snyder's film was lacking to the story's detriment, I think. And I think in a more important for um, Clark's development is that he yeah. can't stop. Again, unless you take the end of this film, <laughs> he he his his strength and might and power can't stop the fate that uh, Jonathan Clark's fate is in this film. Whereas in Man of Steel, it's him deciding not to use his power because he doesn't want to be revealed, and it's his dad sending a message of like, even in this situation, uh, you know, I care about you, and I don't want this to befall you. Which is it's not a it's not the wrong decision. It's just it doesn't match up with where Superman ends up being or what they're trying to say. It's just all very confusing. Yeah, I think. Um, Brian, do you have any? Um, I know you're a you're a DCU defender. You, uh, you you support those films. Is there any? Um, I know it's been a while since you've seen Man of Steel, but uh, do you have any thoughts on kind of that that arc? See, I can't. I, Man of Steel has been a long while because I saw that in theaters <laughs> when it came out. Mm-hmm. So um, I can only praise. Yeah. So if if he is different, um, the Pa Kent character, um, I think the Donner version does it excellently, where we see where his heritage comes from, like explicitly, do not intervene, and then the human side is like, you you're here for a reason, like you you have a almost like a higher calling to do this thing, and then even after that, we see uh, Jor El say. Uh, it's the time to ask questions about, you know, what it means to be here and what, what it is that you're supposed to do. So it does seem like he's signed, uh, talking out of both sides of his mouth a little bit. Like, don't change the history, but lead by example. So affect the history. Yeah. <laughs> his dads are both, like, not perfect people. Right. <laughs> sure. We all have faults. Mine's in Arizona or whatever. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. Luther's quote is. <laughs> But I think it is interesting, again, to the Christ parallel, which uh, definitely is is not escapable uh, from this, is, you know, his earthly fire- father dies, and he has to go to his uh, universal father, his, his larger-than-life far- father, uh, to learn about talking bigger head. things. Um, but his human father teaches him very important lessons, but it is like, yeah, I think what stuck out to me is right before he dies, he goes, well, I guess an old man can change his mind, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He has this moment of where yeah. he, he, he kind of goes like, you know what, I think I've ch- I think... I think you need to take your gifts and, and use them. I think the quote is that, uh, uh, I think the you were put here for a reason. The good Lord put you here for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but it sure wasn't to score touchdowns. Yeah. 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 Um, so good. Which is, which is a cool line to think about our abilities, which is like, there's um, an ability we have within ourselves as we learn what our talents are to do good and make impact. And that's not necessarily your most fulfilling thing. Isn't going to be just to get a paycheck. As important as that is to to remember that your ability is is ultimately to 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 help humanity, but not necessarily just to cash in on what that ability is. Um, whereas, like Clark Kent could have been a rich, you know, if he would have kept his powers a little under wrap and he played football. I mean, he would have been the best football player that ever lived, and he would have gained earthly possessions from the money that he acquired, and he could, you know, have all the luxuries that come with that. But that wasn't his, you know his dad his earthly father instilled on him that that maybe isn't the most important thing that he should use his abilities for not that playing football makes you a bad person i want to say to all the footballers out there (laughs) 
Now, I definitely think you hit the nail on the head, Christian. It's something all of us should uh, strive to remember. You it's know, why how, we're doing this podcast, because how, uh, how we certainly we aren't making any fucking money off of it. So. <laughs> but we're we still wanna, happy to do it. We want to perpetuate, as, yeah, as yeah. negative as I can be on some things, I do want to per- perpetuate uh, human accomplishment and uh, what we do in the arts and why it matters and, and the conversation around that. Uh, but... Uh, Definitely like and subscribe. There's a five-star review. Smash Please. that subscribe button. Just smash it. Uh, we'll read five-star reviews on air. Yeah, if we do. If you do that. leave them. Yeah, it's a thing we do. Uh, so we're just going to ask for your generosity and our effort to make the world a better place. Well, I can't think of any, any better points to wrap it up, but did you guys have any final thoughts on uh, Don, Richard Donard's Superman 1978? It's a great movie. This uh, yeah. A lot of people don't like coming back to old movies. Uh, they just think they're inherently bad, but I think the acting in this movie is top-notch. I know you mentioned a little bit of mis- mishaps on the writing, but I thought the writing was pretty good all the way through and leads you to ask some questions and think about the uh, there's characters. There's some things some like him way. getting hit in the back of the head and goes, bad vibrations, and you're like, man, that joke must have smashed in 1970. That, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty hilarious, though. <laughs> I don't know. It's there there are some things that definitely timestamp this film, but yeah, uh, right, right. It, it doesn't hurt the movie in any way. Yeah, I think I think it's it's and it's it's like I want this movie. I don't know if you you don't need to do it with Superman. I'm not saying Superman needs to be done in this way, but it is so nice to have such a positive character uh, trying to do good. You know, like it's yeah, I know it's, it's refreshing. Weird, it's weird to say that because it's sad thing. that we have to say that. You well, know? no, I, I think it swings, it ebbs and flows in what people are looking for in pop culture, and I think those things will ring true. I think we're heading towards that. I think we're in the ebb and flow of, uh, you know, after this period was the 80s, and the 80s was a very, like, dark and grim, futurist uh, type, like, dismal, like, time for, for writing and storytelling yeah. um, with some outliers, but but I do, I do it, this makes me yearn for... Uh, uh, more positive but I, th- I think we get that with with things like you know captain america and although it is a, b- a bit dark i think the mcu is kind of carrying the burden of of having really positive but slightly flawed role models yeah so. with with captain america's character specifically def- definitely yeah. um i would say he, he's a contemporary counterpart to this type of superman but uh all i have to say is there's a reason we're still talking about this movie 40 years later and still celebrating it. So if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth uh, your time to, yeah, to give it a watch. Watch it with a loved one. If you have kids, watch it with your kids. You know, um, I watched it with my girlfriend, and uh, it was it was really interesting. She had never she had never seen it all the way through, and it was cool to have someone else's uh, like. Uh, she had the question. She's like, "Well, why is he working as a reporter?" And there was it led to all this like specu- I was like, "Oh, I don't know the answer to that question." Um, and I was like, well, I imagine he's trying Solid to... question. He's trying to... He wants to uh, be covering the latest in what's going on with humans in, in a really big city. He wants to have an angle at controlling his representation as a as a figure in society. He has yep. a little bit of weigh in with what the press thinks about him. I was like, that's a strategic element, maybe. Um, but I think it's a, in an effort to get more connected with humans. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was a super interesting question. I love that yeah, Superman sure. is always portrayed so positively in print, uh, in in there in his universe, and Spider Man is always portrayed so negatively by the Daily Bugle. They just really, right. uh, really throw shade at that guy. 
<laughs> but he's I, sneaky. He, he's always crawling around. That's true. Around. He is sneaky. He's a sneaky guy. So, guys, uh, thanks for doing this. It's so glad to be back. I missed you on break. Yeah, great to yeah. be here. As good as the break was for our uh, for our souls and our our, uh, our family, and we stuff, needed we to to recharge just like everybody else. Recharge, right? We're gonna be we're gonna be bringing you a really great uh, 2019. I feel like we're just warming up with what content we're gonna be putting out. Uh, we're expecting a lot. Nothing to announce today, but. Uh, we're hoping to bring you uh, really awesome stuff. If you have any ideas for what we should cover, what you like about the show, what maybe you don't like uh, with some specific details, please email us at popalkscast at gmail.com. We read every single email that we receive. Uh, or feel free to comment on our Facebook page. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, uh, we'll see you next week. We're doing Castlevania. Uh, next seasons week. one and two seasons one and two so i got lots of netflix and to do uh to catch up on that uh so get prepared for that watch that series if you want to hear our take on it what we think about it well we don't have the element yet that we're uh, going to be talking about it in the context but uh, we will get that once we see nothing it. says uh new year's like vampire slayers uh, what we oh, did yes. find out, you know, follow us on Facebook. We got some fun polls that go on. We want you guys to uh, contribute into that. People love Home Alone. Oh, yeah. More <laughs> than Die Hard, apparently. I was really like putting Damn. Die Hard against anything. You need a real champ of Christmas. We we're like, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Die Hard and Home Alone. Man, Home Alone 100%? Uh, not, not anymore. Not anymore? Uh, I think it's like uh, in the you 80s. You gave a guilt, guilty vote? <laughs> yeah. We got we got quite a few votes on that one, and it just swung at the last second. Last I checked, it was at one hundred percent. So let me see. People loving Home Alone. Maybe maybe we'll have to cover that next to Christmas. I think Die like. Hard was at like a twenty seven percent. I'm taking a look okay. right now. Ooh, Die Hard. A little bit of representation. Hey, oh, go right. on Late Facebook if you combat. if you feel strongly about Die Hard. Feel free to go on this page and, yeah. and push those votes forward. So uh, currently. Home Alone sits at a 73% as the, the best Christmas movie ever, uh, and Die Hard is at 27%. Yeah, that's a that's a House majority in yeah. uh, the House reps, and I believe that's any <laughs> Senate vote you need, so I think it's pretty set in stone. But if you want to change that, head on over to our Facebook page. You can search for POP-O-Holics. Find us there. Cool. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for doing this. Have a great night. Have a great... Well, we're at night. Have a great day. Have a great... Have a great week. God. Happy 2019, everyone. Oh, God. Some people... (laughs) I was listening to David Chen's new podcast, and he was like, I hate intros. And I realized that intros are the best, and I love them. It's the the landing that I'm... I think this is a life lesson. I think the landing on most things I've ever done artistically. Am I rambling too much? See, this is the problem with endings. Papa Holly. Papa (laughs) Holly. so that's superman's not star wars right because that was superman yeah